Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Hey everybody, it's your adamantium-filled bruiser, Holden McNeely. Jake, try to be a wizard when we're talking about Wolverine. Go for it. I I want to see this. Attempt to be Wolverine right now, but as a wizard. Listen, bub, <laughs> we got two ways to go about this. I can either launch a fireball so far up your spleen that you'll be tasting barbecue <laughs> for the rest of your life, or you can run home to whoever sent you and tell him that the main man, the number one ass-kicker, just rescued his teen sidekick from a bunch of ninjas. You win! <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Hell yeah, victory song is Jewish. Um. So, anyways, ladies and gentlemen, we are doing an episode today on Wolverine. I'm very excited about it. Uh, Wolverine definitely was like pretty much like it was like before Spawn. I needed something to hang my hat on, you know, before mm-hmm. Todd McFarlane just changed my world and showed me the, the the darkness inside of me. Before that came along, I really feel like Wolverine was who I turned to to be that, to be mm-hmm. that edge, to be that lonesome loner that just sort of called everybody out in X-Men that said, fuck you to X-Men, mm-hmm. you know, all the time. It was like, Cyclops, go fuck. <laughs> Gene Gray, who I'm who I'm in love with, not even secretly. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He was a loser, a lonesome loser, and yet he was like the coolest looking dude at the same time. Like I feel like if you were to see a picture of the X Men at first glance, you're probably going to be like, "I want to be that one," and well, point right thing. at Wolverine. You want to be like in terms of. Uh, like in costume, you want to be the guy in the Batman cowl with the knives for hands, right? That because that's cool. Yes. But outside of costume, with the fucking weird pointy hair <laughs> and the fucking hairy arms, he was so hairy. He's five foot two. I love that he's. Do you five understand? Foot he's two. five. He's foot five foot two. two. But he's got more testosterone than than you know any all the X Men put together. He's a greasy little weirdo. He's a greasy little weirdo that is badass, but also a loser weirdo. I love this character. This, if, I feel like the X-Men would not be complete without this voice in it. Mm-hmm. It is tantamount to the experience. Like he, he essentially is there to put a put a wrench in all of their self-serious, um, sexy boy, sexy girl fun and and call everybody out and like go against the grain. And I I loved this character from the get-go. I remember immediately being all about Wolverine. I also had um, the Wolverine. I loved my Wolverine uh, X-Men 
uh, action figure. I even had the Weapon X mm. action figure as well. I even know what that part of the story was. <laughs> And so it was great to learn about all this and then the resurgence of the character and this beautiful relationship that you have between uh, Hugh Jackman and Wolverine and the character of Wolverine, the character of Logan is very special. And I know that we have other actors that are deeply associated with certain superheroes, but I feel like Hugh Jackman was the first one to like live in a superhero character like so brilliantly for almost two decades and it's a beautiful thing to watch and you could see how passionate he is uh, it was about this character's development in films and how hands-on he was and that is why we ended up getting <laughs> one of the greatest superhero movies of all time with Logan it is probably in my top three personally really Logan is amazing I mean, it's pretty good. Logan is one of the best superhero movies ever, for sure. I mean, you know, it's no country for old mutants. Exactly. <laughs> and we needed that. And and superhero movies needed that to just continue to thrive, mm -hmm. to stay alive. We needed that fucking no country for old mutants mm -hmm. uh, film, for sure. Just to, like, put again, put a wrench in the genre. Like, Wolverine Wolverine the genre of superhero movies. I, I've been trying to pick this apart because, like, Wolverine was like the coolest guy Wolverine was I mean uh, just answer this question honestly you knew the character Wolverine before you'd ever like realized it was an animal you just thought it was like a cool way to say wolf guy yeah totally this is like Wolverine it's like some kind of element or f secret science formula that you extract from wolves yeah but no it's just a weird badger from the north. Right, it's not even really a good, but it just sounds so cool. It you know? sounds. It sounds like a mixture between wolf and marine. It's, you know what yeah, I mean? Exactly. Like the most badass <laughs> army dude meets a wolf. So if Superman <laughs> or Batman is like your dad, mm -hmm. you know, like powerful, competent, always does the right thing, like looks out for you, Wolverine is your cool uncle who gets drunk at family events who like went to Nam. <laughs> Yes. Or he's your older brother that like snuck out late at night and like got a chick pregnant, but also like gave you your first beer. Yeah. Like it was it was specifically his use of the of the term bub. That, that <laughs> for some reason he called everybody bub. Of course he called everyone bub. But that, there was just something about that. It just like was so different from all the other fucking pristine, super cool, super No, he was just like what's up, bub? Like he talked to you like you're a he's a bum and you're a bum and you're both at a dive bar. <laughs> You know, but he just happens to have fucking dope claws and healing factor. I still don't quite understand what the Wolverine dialect is because he'll get into like a lot of like old Brooklyn-y, like uh, uh -huh. get a load of these maroons. <laughs> like Even though shit. he's intensely Canadian, which is actually how he ended up surviving, oddly enough. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But I, of course, I never always ever well, thought of Wolverine as like that Canadian superhero. But he's well, Canadians do. Yeah, you don't talk to a single Canadian nerd who doesn't doesn't know that. Bring up but that but I, I yeah, it's so funny. Like, I never thought, and that's literally how he survived, but we'll get into it in just a second. When but, did we get uh, into it? But he, it's not just a Canadian wilderness guy. He's yeah. also an immortal samurai. He's yes. also a World War II veteran. He's also a secret agent. He's also, like, a Southeast Asian, like, uh, uh, Humphrey Bogart Casablanca guy. Oh, was he the different things that uh, in heavily influenced comic books all through the 90s and 2000s, and he took that on at different points? Absolutely. But, he, of course, he is enabled 
able to have that ability, right, to be all those cool things because he's got, like, essentially the vampire situation. Like, he's been around for years and years and years. So, of course, now you can give him all these different, uh, you know, back like elements to his background that just make him so worldly. And so, you know, and I guess that's also why his well i mean he sounds new yorky because new yorker people yeah. wrote him you know what i mean like for sure but also why he has such an eclectic kind of voice when in in so much of his work cuz he speaks like 20 different languages and has been a yeah and like the whole the whole samurai thing you know and he, there is a, just a pile of dead japanese women in his wake canonically um yes I, that's one of the funny things too he's just like i love you girl and now you're dead <laughs> oh no i'm so sad to be wolverine and now um, i can't remember so it's like like over and over and over again that happened also i love that wolverine unlike i feel like any other super hero that i can think of wolverine it's like all about that origin story that origin story keeps getting longer and longer and longer and is like so much of the great wolverine arcs that people consider must read wolverine stuff it's all weapon x and the stuff he did with um you know uh, claremont and frank miller with this you know samurai stuff and like it's all about how mariko he- chan <laughs> no oh i'm sorry I, in my inside uh, yeah in the uh in the 90s it was mm. it's that voice it's like uh let's let's bob <laughs> Mariko Chat, I gotta save you. But it's okay, Barrage. Uh, it's everything. On top of that, he has the fucking healing factor, yeah. which is the weirdest power that, like, I feel like entered the mainstream. And uh-huh. the way you know, because Superman is indestructible. Yeah, Superman stops bullets with his chest. Things bounce off him. It doesn't affect him. Wolverine can take the same amount of damage. It just rips chunks yeah, he, out of him. But he feels it, and yeah. it's awful. And, you know, he slowly has to heal from it, and it's painful, and it's something he has to deal with over and It's like a Sisyphus mm. curse thing, right? It's like he's constantly getting... Is Sisyphus who got ripped apart by the No, clothes? that is uh, Prometheus. Sisyphus pushed the rock. It's Well, kind of both, though. But, yeah, yeah, Prometheus He's tragic. So. He is a tragic It's tragic thing. because he's constantly just getting ripped to shreds and surviving it and coming back but he carries that pain with him that's why he's such a pained upset dude and he also is that guy who could not get the girl with like gene gray which all of us felt in middle school especially if we were like super into comic books and stuff like i totally immediately was like oh you can't get with the popular girl in the x-men and because she's with mr clean cut cyclops (laughs) jock boy is fucking gets her instead i get you wolverine Jennifer, you made a mistake. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. It's also like kind of clever that like Cyclops has the long range power to like keep him at a distance while Wolverine is all like up close and personal. Yes. So he's like the one X-Man who he can actually kick his ass. Yeah, he's he's to- yeah, exactly. It's great. So he's tragic. Yeah. He's he's also like the Ron Swanson of any superhero story where mm-hmm. like any crime, I feel like every crime fighter who's ever, te- you know, they throw him in every book. He's in the Avengers. He teams up with Spider-Man. He's in the Fantastic Four sometimes. Like, he's everywhere because no matter what the situation, Wolverine can jump and be like, nine, I know what to do. Yeah. This reminds me of uh, fucking nanotext. I haven't seen this since Gulf War. Like, yeah. And he's and also be the perfect foil to any other comic book character, essentially. Uh, you Wolverine, know, you can't just eviscerate ninjas. <laughs> you gotta do it by the book. Shut your fucking face hole, bub. 
Exactly, right? And also, though, he's got... And it's so funny. He manages to do the impossible. He manages to be incredibly cool while at the same time being a total, like, loser. Like, mm-hmm. how do you... That is, like, a magic trick, pulling that off. And, and, and it's so well accomplished with this character and why, I mean, I think so many of us kids... Because it's like, we weren't gonna get behind a character that was just a loser, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Or that was just, like, super cool. Well, kind of, we would do that with, like, Spawn or whatever. But, well, Spawn, I guess, so inspired by Wolverine. Wasn't Spawn, though, in a lot of ways? Like, I mean, McFarlane loses a, the girl, uh... has, you know, is super cool, loses the girl, you know, the 90s gets ripped could to be described, and... if you wanted to describe the Dark Age of Comics, it, you very well could just call it, Oops, all Wolverines. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oops, all Wolverines. Really, it's so true. It's so damn They're true. They're even like uh, fucking everyone from Liefeld to McFarland to Silvestri. All those image guys always had like at least one Wolverine in the team, mm-hmm. even with like the the weird cowl mask thing. Yeah. But we'll get into the origin of it. Let's get it. Let's let's jump in here, and I want to go ahead. Hold and start. in. How did this? Greasy murder machine enter our lives. Well, I'm going to recap some, but for listeners who may not have listened to probably the X-Men episode, I'm going to do a brief recap of some of the main players who came in to play when it comes to the creation of Wolverine, and that does sort of bleed into things we've already talked about, but still. When Stanley and Jack Kirby invented their beautiful (laughs) parable about the struggle for civil rights, the kids of America looked at this work and this team and said, eh, (laughs) A comic book is a bunch of pages with pictures on them and word bubbles for dialogue. The four-color process uses a series of what are known as moray patterns to create tone. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so first first character number one. Let's do like the four horses of the apocalypse here. I have four of them. Character number one, Roy Thomas. Mm-hmm. Now, Roy, Roy the Boy Thomas, Roy the who Boy took Thomas, over for Stan Lee. Uh, Stan Lee's first successor as editor-in-chief. I mean, this is like the dude for the Silver Age of comics in a lot of ways, or one of the main dudes that really led the charge in the Silver Age. Uh, he started out as an English teacher, and he ended up getting a degree uh, in the Southeast Missouri State U in 61 for for uh, education, I believe. And he, and he was just this kind of geeky English teacher who worked on a fanzine called Alter Ego. Uh, but then he ends up saying, fuck it, moves to New York City for a job as an assistant to Mort Weisinger, who is was the editor of Superman and apparently notoriously difficult to work with. He had an awful time with Weisinger, so much so that out of desperation, he just one night just pulls out a sheet of paper and writes a, a just a, a, a longing plea to Stan Lee over at Marvel, just seeing if Stan would be so kind as to just sit down and have a drink with him. Instead, Lee offered him to take the Marvel writing test, the Marvel writing test as as we've talked about before, that is four pages from the Fantastic Four Annual Number Two, previously written by Jack Kirby. But all the panels are blank, and you have to fill it in. And we should do that sometime. By the way, I would love to take the Marvel writing test, and I would love to find. I mean, do they have? I thought previous- the Marvel writing test is when you put your like finger in that box from Dune. Right, right, While right. Stanley just tells you fear is the mind, <laughs> fear is the mind killer. <laughs> the the Marvel writing test is when you sign all of the rights to your work over to Stanley. The and- Marvel writing test is I agree to die in absolute poverty while I watch my creation on a million movie posters. Stanley makes you look at a, a pocket watch that swings for a good minute or two until you get completely hypnotized, and then he tells you all of your work is mine. All of your work is mine. Uh, I will. <laughs> say that uh 
DC does a better job of paying off writers because they had so many uh, fiascos with the creators of Superman. Mm. So if you are going to have your work uh, made into a movie, try and make it when you were working for DC. Oh, yeah, because the DC universe crushing it in the theaters these days. Aquaman did fine. Aquaman did pretty well. I heard it's really good. Enter the, it kicked Enter the Spider-Verse's ass, Which even though so Enter the Spider-Verse sad, is so fucking good. Enter the Spider-Verse is so good. Anyways, uh, he gets the job. Uh, and ends up moving over pretty quickly to an editor position shortly thereafter, which led to his editor-in-chief role. And Roy Thomas, he then uh, at one point asks writer Lynn Ween to create a character named Wolverine, and he wants him to be a uh, Canadian and of small stature and with a Wolverine's fierce temper. And this is where we introduce the man Lynn Wine? Ween. Wine? I want to say Ween. Vine? Wein. Ween? Uh, he was born in New York City. He was a very sickly child whose dad brought him a stack of comic books to the hospital to keep him entertained. He decided to try to This be- is the irony point of the show. Here <laughs> is the irony point of the show. One of the main writers who brought Wolverine to life himself suffered from a weak immune system. Isn't that ironic? Wolverine's whole deal is that he's healthy no matter what. Pretty ironic that the weak guy invented a very strong person. Uh, thank you so much, Jake. That was I that was that. the irony moment sponsored by Raytheon. <laughs> and he did put on a hot dog costume and dance around the room <laughs> while he sang that to me, by the way. It's Unfortunately, sh- it's a podcast. <laughs> Don't call my normal clothes a hot dog costume. <laughs> just how my body is. So Lin Veen decided to try to be a comic artist in the eighth grade when his art teacher told him he had talent. By the way, teachers, just fucking tell, even if you don't <laughs> think they do, just say they do. If it seems like they like the thing, then they'll just pursue it and get good at it. And he was eventually hired at DC as a freelance writer, along with his friend Marv Wolfman. Uh, since he started out as an artist, he was very good at communicating to artists what he wanted, and his scripts were very easy for artists to draw. Artists were literally artists would come in and be like do you have any Lynn Ween scripts because those are always the best because he was so good at just getting across what he wanted in every panel um and his first story was with Wolfman called Eye of the Beholder um in Teen Titans number 18 in which they debuted Red Star the first official Russian superhero in the DC universe um, oh, shit. I didn't realize that's where you came from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And his first Marvel work was a one-off story for Daredevil number 71, co-written by Roy Thomas. He also would go on to create Swamp Thing in the House of Secrets number 92 in 1971. But he initially was was the just the basic creator of of Wolverine. Well, it's uh, Roy Thomas. Uh, there was part of a big push at Marvel to create kind of a pan-national kind of more diverse uh, group mm. of heroes uh, for the sake of marketing. Mm. So this is where you get characters like Sunfire and Sabra, the Israeli superhero. Yeah. Um, so Wolverine, uh, you know, there's early sketches of Wolverine in the uh, weird Hulk costume, you know, with the whiskers um, that was drawn by uh, John Romita Sr., not Jr., who would later draw a bunch of real good Wolverine stories, but you can find the original sketches from John Romita Sr. Well, they're just like literally as a marketing poll being like, and this is going to be the Canada guy. I feel like I got my wolves crossed. I think I said his first story with Wolverine was called Eye of the Beholder. That was actually Wolfman. Wolfman was the guy that he uh, got together with, uh, weirdly enough. Um, and their first story together was Eye of the Beholder in Teen Titans number and, 18. He oh, had not yet created Wolfman by that point. I found, uh, doing research, I actually found a uh, interview where Marv Wolfman like basically 
interviews Len Wein. And the two describe how uh, they used to show up. They used to skip school and go into Manhattan and uh, take the weekly tour of the Marvel offices just to like because they were that obsessed with the business That's awesome. to the point where like when it was time for them to pitch their stories for the you know to do their big like portfolio review uh like the editors already knew them by name <laughs> so you also have so a- be a pest ladies yeah, and gentlemen be annoying ladies and gentlemen so john ramita senior is another one mm-hmm. uh he's a brooklyn born and raised uh dude of italian descent and he graduated from Manhattan School of Industrial Art in 1947. He got his start with one-offs on what some would call the first American comic book of ever, called Famous Funnies, in 1949. He said, Stephen Douglas up there was a benefactor to all young artists. Talking about Stephen Douglas for Famous Funnies. I love this. This is a story he's telling of how terrible he was at, at first. Um, so he just remembers that this guy, Stephen Douglas, who worked for uh, famous, the editor of Famous Funnies, just like helped him even though he was awful. He said, the first story he gave me was a love story. It was terrible. All the women looked like emaciated men, and he bought it, never criticized, and told me to keep working. He paid me $200 for it and never published it, and rightly so. <laughs> Literally just, just gave him money to give him positive reinforcement. Then he got work as a ghostwriter for Timely Comics, which eventually would become Marvel. Um, he was, at one point, too, drafted into the Army, but he made an appearance on leave to the Atlas Comics office. I believe I told this story once before, but it is such a great story. He shows up in uniform and he tells the secretary uh stan doesn't know my name but i've worked for him for over a year because he'd just been being like a silent freelancer for him and um lee gave him the uh uh, a four-page science fiction story to pencil and for the first time ever ink and he got through and ended up getting a job there he went on to horror comics and romance comics for atlas again which would eventually become marvel i believe right yeah right atlas and uh his first hit was the 1950s revival of captain America. He then goes and does the thing all comic book people do. He works for DC for a while. He becomes their romance comic. It's, it was cover as simple artist. as literally going down the elevator and walking and walking across. across the street. The building is literally across the street. It's completely. It's so hilarious how that all worked out. And um, he was given an offer from Lee eventually to work at Marvel, where he ends up designing the first costume for for Wolverine and claims credit for the retractable claws. He said of this, which is very true for comic books stuff at the time like i remember you told that story about stan lee like giving todd mcfarland shit for his costume choices. i mean there's video you can find it yeah yeah he says uh when i make a design i want it to be practical and functional i thought if a man has claws like that how does he scratch his nose or tie his shoelaces so that's how he made it the the claws retract supposedly though this is this is for a while uh both len ween and ramita uh just assumed they were part of the gloves yeah that like it's they were just in the glove because if adamantium is unbreakable, then and I believe initially that was the design yeah. that it was actually they initially thought it was a glove thing not coming out of his actual skin because who would think that would be happening? <laughs> uh, and then there's Herb Trimp. Uh, he was from Peekskill, New York. Herb would commute to NYC to attend the School of Visual Arts, where artist Tom Gill needed a student to ink backgrounds and whatnot for Dell Comics, doing westerns and licensed books. He ends up enlisting in the Air Force for four years. He gets discharged in 1966. A classmate of his, John Ver- 
Porton was working at Marvel and got him in for freelance work. Eventually, essentially, he started out as a copy boy, running this fucking photocopy machine, essentially, um, and then doing little bits of writing work on the side. And Trimp is later assigned to Pencil the Hulk and would do for seven years. And the reason why that is important, especially that he would work on the Hulk, is because the actual first appearance of Wolverine is in The Incredible Hulk, number 180, October 1974. And this is uh, written by Ween and penciled by Herb Trimp. So that's what brings us to the uh, origin of the publication of Wolverine. It's just a teaser panel. You know, it's just literally like, well, wait till they get a load of Wolverine. I have it, dude. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you really want to tangle with someone, why not try your luck against the Wolverine? <laughs> and then the narrator says, well, now you know what or, or who Weapon X is, faithful one. He's a living, raging powerhouse who's bound to knock you back on your emerald posterior. My what posterior? Oh, the Hulk's green ass. <laughs> yeah. My emerald posterior. Um, The uh, story involves this very dumb, tragic Canadian story where, like, a lumberjack and a Native American woman are looking for their friend, not realizing that he has been cursed as the Wendigo. And uh, the character Wendigo, big, hairy, vicious monster, fights the Hulk, fights the Uh X-Men, classic villain based on the Native American cannibal myth. Wolverine base already is like way too outclassed. Like he fights the Hulk for like five seconds. It's like, <laughs> shit, I made a mistake. This is terrible. Uh, <laughs> Fuck. Maybe I can this get sucks. him to fight the Wendigo and that'll save me some trouble. <laughs> and like he doesn't really do a lot. <laughs> well, he doesn't really do a lot for a while. Like he really doesn't come into his own um, for a good, good, good while. Even after the whole giant size X-Men, which we're leading up to. Just here. the idea that like. The Canadian the Canadian government has a secret agent who is not a secret agent as much as he is a guy in a cat mask and banana yellow spandex <laughs> who just has not who's like listen Wolverine this is gonna be your toughest I know you have skills like survival and uh, tactics and not having to hold knives instead using your gloves yeah he doesn't have the healing factor at this point right like uh, for a very they keep doing this thing where like. Wolverine has an, imp- and, you know, they, they establish the skeleton. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the skeleton can't be broken. So he can get really beat up. Right. Because, don't worry, kids, he's has an invincible skeleton. Uh-huh. And then he'd come back a few pages later, because it's a comic book, healed. Right. And then, like, enough times where, like, even the writers had to be like, hey, Wolverine, didn't, like, didn't a raptor, like, rip your arm off? Like, it's fine. I heal fast. Like, they didn't codify the healing factor uh-huh. until later. And even then, it's, like, the most obvious power creep in the history of comics where, like, yeah, okay, he can get cut and then, like, right. it'll and heal And then later up. he's, uh, as people refer to it, as, like, a bullet sponge. Like, he just becomes. Oh, no, he can. There, I don't remember if it. he's been nuked. Right. He has a, a been in the center of a nuclear blast, and from the living cells within his skull, he has regenerated all of his meat. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. Just shit like that. It just gets more and more and more. But that, that makes sense with any any long-term superhero that the the their powers just yeah. evo- have to evolve. Um But uh, for a while he would just be like, No, don't worry, I heal fast. Herb Trimp recalls the sketch that Romita made of Wolverine and uh, says, the way I see it, 
Romita and Ween sewed the monster together, and I shocked it to life. It was just one of those secondary or tertiary characters, actually, that we were using in that particular book with no particular notion of it going anywhere. We did characters in The Incredible Hulk all the time that were in particular issues, and that was the end of them. And this is the thing you have to you have to know. Wolverine, is so, it's so perfect. His story, in terms of the origins of his publication, falls so in line with his underdog character. He is that underdog that was never supposed to be in more than one or two <laughs> issues and then he they brought him back but they were like in, you know in the X-Men but they were kind of like didn't know what to do with him and they were about to cut him again well, and I, I feel like I'm, say- I'm, I'm, I'm stepping a little too far yeah. forward but still he really is that character like they, he really was supposed to be uh, written out over and over again and he just kept sticking around kept being in it I um, will I will say this uh, when they come when, are you gonna get when you get to giant size X-Men we're at giant one, size X-Men number one actually a, because it's Incredible Hulk number 180 for that teaser and then Incredible Hulk number 181 is his like big issue but then he goes away until 1975's Game Changer Giant Size X-Men number one the big revitalization of X-Men written by Ween and penciled by Dave Cockrum so the cover of the uh, of Giant Size X-Men number one that classic shot where it's like all the new characters you know uh, Nightcrawler Colossus, uh, all of Warpath, even though, you know, whatever. Banshee, Wolverine, all come like charging through the front while the old X-Men look on horrified in the background. The cover artist, Gil Kane, made a mistake. Uh, Instead of drawing the cat mask that uh, Romita had designed with the little whiskers, Mm -hmm. still to this day looks super dumb and bad. (laughs) uh, He gave him what is, there's no other way to go about it. It's just Batman. Yeah. He just gave him the Batman the Batman, ears. Batman sort of thing, but it's sort of with the yellow or whatever, yeah. so it looks cool. And Cockrum, who had already been working, I mean, it's especially Batman-y on the Gil Kane cover. Yeah. And uh, Cockrum, who had already done the work penciling the interiors, loved this change so much that he went back and inked over and changed all of Wolverine's art to use the new mask design. And I swear to God, like the sharp ears, the streamlined kind of like uh, downward like nose point, it works so much better for him as this like just angel of slice and dice rather than meow. Watch out, bud. I'm gonna get (laughs) you. Like it's it's one of another great mistake that helped this character out. Right. Wolverine, this the page I have it up right here on my on my terribly dated computer. Uh, the scene where Charles Xavier just walks into a Canadian government office is like, "Hey, I hear you got a mutant somewhere around here. Uh, I wanna, I wanna, I want him." And Wolverine just walks up and is like, "Uh, bald man, huh? You think I'm supposed to be impressed? Well, uh, tell you what, you're telling me you're not gonna pay me, and I have to just go to an island to rescue some people I never heard of? Hell yeah, fuck you, Canadian government!" And he just leaves with Xavier. What's it's um yeah, uh, the government guy's like, "You try walking out on us, and I'll have you walked, I'll have you locked up." And Wolverine's like, "Uh huh." Seems you didn't get my meaning, bucko. This is still a free country, isn't it? So I'm resigning my commission. Effective immediately. And he rips the uh, government officer's tie off. Oh, okay. That's fun. Yeah, it's a ceremonial um, uh, castration. Yes. Obviously. Of course. Len Wein was well aware of the uh, meta-narratives and the (laughs) Jungian archetypes in play. (laughs) 
Um, and that's why he digs up his uh, father's penis later on, too, is another sort of Oedipal. Oh, that's uh, that's from the uh, Jason Aaron miniseries that goes true. into his origin. I forgot about that. Wolverine uh, dick origin. So, so Wolverine, though, th- th- he's in the X-Men. Mm-hmm. He's a part of this whole thing with giant size. And at the same time, they're kind of cold, cold on him. They kind of, like, shove him to the side. He's just this bruiser character at first. They don't really know what to do with well, him. Well, you know, Banshee's got that, like, crazy disco outfit, and he can fly and do the screaming. Uh, Storm has, like, the crazy, like, winds forth, come be proud of lightning star. Like, Colossus has his, like, uh, Russia. Yeah. Nightcrawler. Everyone loves Nightcrawler. Everyone Nightcrawler. Loves- Everyone loved Nightcrawler a little too much at first. Nightcrawler was like the end-all, be-all in the it's beginning. It's such a good power set. It's such a cool yeah. character design. Cool character design, all that stuff. And Wolverine's just like, I don't have to hold knives. I got, I, I got, I got them knife in my, gloves. They're in my hands. Uh, <laughs> What's up, you beautiful Last Podcast Network listener? You beautiful, it's true. My name is Jackie Zabrowski. And my name is Molly Neffel, and we, along with Marcus, host Page 7, a pop culture and celeb gossip podcast that is nestled in the arms of the Last Podcast Network. Ever want to listen to Marcus Galpal down with a couple of daddy-thirsty women? Talking movies and throwing metaphorical barbs at the sadist industry of Gwyneth Paltrow, and discussing our shared love of Jason Momoa's face and body despite his terrible acting skills. Check out page seven. It's a positive romp through the boob tube and the funny papers that'll be sure to leave you loving Guy Fieri and knowing way too much about what Hulk Hogan said during his sex tape. Oh, yeah. He kept burping up barbecue while she boinked on it. Don't worry, we talk pop culture the way that most late 20s, 30s, 40s people talk pop culture. I may not know exactly what Bella Hadid does, but I know what love is. Now is not the time for Forrest Gump impressions, Jackie. We are in the middle of an ad. Okay, don't tase me, bro. You are a beauty that's fixing to get iced by the beast. The only way you're going to ice me is with a cool tolly of Mango Rita. Get off it. Everyone knows that Grape Rita is the best flavor. Actually, maybe they are all the best flavors. Well, except Strawberita. Just saying. Try out a new flavor in your brain meat. Please check out the ridiculousness that is Page 7 wherever you listen to your podcasts as well as the other shows on the last podcast network. I think you might like it. So they're almost he's almost dropped from the series by Cockrum and Claremont. And if it wasn't for a little dude named John Byrne, he might have gone away completely. John Byrne, a British chap, born and grew up in rural parts of England. He was the first exposed to superheroes at the age of six, watching the old Adventures of Superman TV series. He said, not long after I started watching that series, I saw one of the hardcover black and white annuals that were being published over there at the time, and soon after found a copy of an Australian reprint named Super Comics that featured a story a story each of Superboy, Johnny Quick, and Batman. The Batman story hooked me for life. A couple of years later, my family immigrated to Canada, for the second time, no less, and I discovered the vast array of American comics available at the time. So, yes, his family at age eight immigrates to Canada. Very important part of this story because that is exactly what saves Wolverine was the fact that they moved this dude to Canada at age eight. He was heavily inspired by Jack Kirby. He went to the Alberta College of Art where he created the superhero gay guy to make fun of the campus stereotype of homosexuality among art students. We've covered this in our X-Men 
X-Men episode. Exactly. We got to re-edge. What if they haven't heard it? What if they didn't listen to the X-Men episode? What if they were like, oh, I don't care about the X-Men. Oh, I only care about Wolverine. Who's oh, the- you know how our fans are. They skip around. They go downtown. They, they like to clown. <laughs> Um, after he leaves college without graduating in 1973, he freelances for Charlton Comics before catching the eyes of Chris Claremont over at Marvel. He has him draw an Iron Fist in the anthology series Marvel Premiere. He's doing Iron Fist for, for essentially a story that had a deadline that was missed by the original uh, artist. And so that guy was fired and Byrne was able to to get in there and get it done before the deadline and uh, take this dude's spot. Doggy dog world, you gotta show up, people. And you can't fuck around, alright? Wait, does, it's, a, it's just another piece of ephemera, but uh, Sabretooth the villain was originally uh, made as a villain for Iron Fist. Mm-hmm. So was it by that same team? I don't we Probably, yeah. That's probably how that ended up getting connected, right? He started working with Claremont on X-Men, though, starting in with number 108 in 1977. And Byrne did his damnedest to make Wolverine a big deal because he did not want to see a Canadian character drop. So the fact that John Byrne was moved to Canada is why Wolverine is here to stay alive today. Hugh oh. Jackman, thank the Canadian man. Your whole ass fucking depends on it. Okay? Uh, before we uh, leave uh, David Cockrum, I will say that he gave Wolverine his unique hairstyle and based his kind of like grizzled features, yes. wild eyes, and shaggy hair yes. on the character Dr. Hook from the movie Slapshot. And if you look at a picture of the actor Paul Diamato from the movie Slapshot in all of his wily-eyed, short, greasy glory, you'll be like, oh, fuck, that's Logan. That's but Wolverine. See, you have that for Cockrum because I have that for Byrne. Oh, okay. Byrne said, my Wolverine is an actor whose name I don't even know, who's on camera for all of five minutes in a Paul Newman hockey movie called Slapshot. He used him to model the character from what I have from a quote for for burn and i will say this, i'll trust your information then and i will say this too um i have we actually have a clip mary if you could play this short <laughs> clip from Sl- Slapshot with uh this this wonderful actor's performance that inspired wolverine they don't call me dr hook for nothing how are you doing all right now no high sticking no tripping no slashing major surgery open heart i'm waiting for quiet yeah you'll have quiet uh i'm just gonna go ahead and say right now mm-hmm you, everyone needs to actually watch Slapshot. Yeah. Have you seen Slapshot? I have not seen Dude, Slapshot. Dude, it is so good. Slapshot is like such an amazing sports comedy movie. It is so raw. It is so Canadian. It's literally just about like a team deciding to say fuck it and just start beating the fuck out of the other team and like just, just totally turning it into like a wrestling match essentially. Slapshot is so funny. It's it's the bad news bears of hockey is what it is. And it is great. So highly recommend watching Slapshot to everybody at home who has never seen it. It truly is a great movie and nothing made me happier than seeing that it inspired Wolverine. I really got a big kick out of that. So David, uh, David Byrne, John Byrne, Starts working with Claremont. This is not my beautiful X Mansion. <laughs> this is not my beautiful Cyclops. He starts working with him on number 108 in 1977. 
Um, and he uh, starts co-plotting the book with Claremont by issue number 114. Claremont has said, for once, somebody gives someone else credit for helping them create the thing. <laughs> Claremont says, at that point in time, John and I were, in a very real sense, true collaborators on the book. It was, with very few exceptions, difficult for me anyway to tell in the actual gestation of the book where one of us left off and the other began because it involved one of us coming up with an idea and bouncing it off the other, and apparently things got heated with them, too. Too. They would fucking fight for shit, and that's really cool. They were really kind of aggressive with each other, but I think it was like a, a positive competition or a positive, you know, uh, clashing of the minds because they really just wanted to make it so great. Um, also, Byrne established Alpha Flight, which is a group of Canadian superheroes trying to recapture Wolverine because they're the, you know, he escaped from their government who trained him and everything. Um, he also designed the brown and tan costume for Wolverine. That was uh, around this time, right? Brand, the brown and tan. It, it, it's weird. It's like, what is your Wolverine? Is it the brown and tan one or the yellow and blue? My Wolverine because I got it. Or is it the 90s fucking, I don't dress like a cool dude anymore. I just dress like a boring dude in a If I think of Wolverine, I think of the yellow and blue. Um, Me too. But uh, Unless I'm thinking about the X-Men video game. Yeah. The brawler beat him up. <laughs> but they're, it's all Wolverines are beautiful. Uh, actually, no. One Wolverine isn't beautiful, and that is Fang Wolverine. Which is uh, before David Cockrum left, he actually, uh, seemingly out of spite, gave Wolverine a new costume that he, uh, in story, physically ripped off a defeated enemy. And it had all these fiddly bone bits, but it also had a brown and tan color scheme. Hmm. So I think he understood that the color scheme worked better for kind of the grounded character that Wolverine was. Mm. But just because it was so annoying to draw, uh, Byrne changed him back to the yellow and blue before kind of adapting the color scheme to the mustard and brown. So Byrne stays with the X-Men up to number 143. That's in March of 1981. Mm -hmm. Um, After Byrne leaves, Wolverine gets a solo run for four issues in 1982, done by Claremont and Frank Miller... Of all people, I know. Does he need introduction, Frank Miller? We did a Frank. We Miller? did a Frank Miller episode. Listen to the episode, Frank Miller. You know him. You love him. You can't get enough of him. And uh, I mean, and he makes it all. And that's when Wolverine gets all samurai. Supposedly, Claremont got Frank Miller to do the uh, to do the job just by running over to him and just being like, "Listen, I got ninjas." Yeah, <laughs> because I mean, I don't. Ninjas know- were the thing. You got Daredevil's resurgence with yeah. Frank Miller. You've got just ninjas are what where it's at. I mean, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles came from the ninja craze of the 90s in comic books. You had to have samurai. You had to have, like, brooding, rainy city street ninja fights in all of your comic books. So uh, the story of, of this follows no very, like, if you saw the the second Wolverine movie, The Wolverine, it's very similar, except without the yes. god-awful ending. We'll talk about it. We'll, we'll, oh, does it? Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about it because I actually haven't seen that one. I saw the... Oh. We'll, we'll get into We'll get into that when we get uh, into the movies. But this, uh, the classic photo of Wolverine... The uh, photo, what am I saying? The drawn cover, not an actual <laughs> photograph. It looks very real. It's no, it does the, not. The, <laughs> with smiling, grimacing, claws popped with yes. the, like, come and get it yes. uh, hand motion. And this thing... God, like reading it now, especially like hypersensitive to my own like edgelord weeb regrets is like real painful. But it's just like it's just Wolverine untethered, just free to like kill dudes and like do that like old man inner monologue where it's like, 
I, I sense six of them. Follow the scent. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. The rain hits my rib cage, coughing up blood. Like, it's all very edgelordy. I would like you to know, too, mm-hmm. my brother owns, in a, in a good casing, a, like, good edition of number two. Oh. The one where he's sort of flying in the air with the blue background or whatever. That is That was, like, the big expensive comic book that my brother owned that was in the house that was like a big deal don't and like touch my wolverine touch it. yeah yeah don't and it was like i had the death of superman was happening and we got really serious about getting like fancy comic books and so that was the big fancy one he had so it's always a blast to see the cover of that one and to talk about this because it's like oh that's what that's what that that what that's from that's kind of cool i mean you just have to like under you know just like even think about being a kid back then you didn't even understand what the yakuza was yeah. and now wolverine Wolverine's fighting ninja gangsters. Right. Like, it's very cool. Uh, there's this like femme fatale lady who like is trying to seduce him named Yukiko, who looks like uh, looks like a Grace, like Japanese Grace Jones. And that that the hits keep coming with that stuff. You also have the Kitty Pride and Wolverine. Uh, this one's arc weird. With, that is uh, a Claremont weird ass Al series. Milgram. Uh, yeah, Kitty Pride travels to Japan to take out the Yakuza that are threatening her father and calls on Wolverine, who must take down his old mentor, the demon samurai Ogon. There's, like, tons of scenes with, like, Wolverine in a full kimono training, like Kitty Pride, Mr. Miyagi style. Also, there's, uh, <laughs> uh, there was, like, a follow-up series where Kitty Pride goes back to Japan made in the 2000s. Awesome. And it was uh, written by the current editor-in-chief of Marvel, but uh, the current ed- but back then he was uh, using a fake Japanese name in order to get published more. <laughs> Whatever, comics are fun. Comics are great, yeah. and then then of course uh, the Kitty Pride and Wolverine series. This leads to an ongoing book written by Claremont, art by John Buscema, starting in 1988, running for 189 issues. Um, there are some other runs and some other important ones to name we can we can talk about uh, right here. Um, you also have two origin runs, the Weapon X and uh, run and origin. I remember when Weapon X came out. I think I might have had one or two. This of is those. the Barry Windsor Smith thing. I believe so. Okay, yeah. with the mm-hmm. helmet. Uh, yes, that's Barry Windsor Smith, and he wrote and did the art for that one. So and this it is tells insane. the story of how he got all the adamantium in him and all that good stuff. Like the level of like Cronenbergian body horror, yeah. and like fucking technology, and it's a weird turn for Wolverine. I remember being like, "What in the fuck?" And this is, by the way, where I think we hit that point where I believe I already talked about it, but like for some weird reason, Wolverine. When it comes to the Wolverine must reads. Like almost all, like eighty percent of them are part of his origin story, or like, or like, uh, here's another part of his origin story, and here's another part of the origin. You even have like a whole movie dedicated to his origin, um, uh, you know, or even two really. You'd argue the Wolverines like it, kind of a part of that as well, but he, you just, you have so many. Um, it's all about how he became the Wolverine, and that makes a lot of sense because there's so many moving parts. You're like, especially when. You you know when they make it so that the adamantium is something that was added later. So he already had the claws, but they just were his actual bones. And then he and then it's paired with the healing factor, which is by the way one of the coolest things about Wolverine is that if like it weren't for his healing factor, he'd probably just bleed out like immediately. <laughs> but he just happens to have this healing factor that heals up the claw wounds. So by the it way, it hurts every time. Exactly. So by the way, every single time he fucking shashinks the fucking claws out, it. it it hurts like hell. 
Um, which I think is a great uh, element to his character. During like the late 90s when they did that thing where Magneto ripped the adamantium out of his body and he had the bone claws. Uh-huh. I remember just one scene oh, so where good. like he's just under a tree just screaming in agony, just popping the claws back and forth. He's just like, got to keep the channels open. <laughs> so that would be that would be X-Men volume 20, uh, number 25 by Fabian Nicieza and Andy Kubert. Another one that we definitely talked about in the X-Men episode. That's the one with the big long cover right that has oh, I think each different there are yeah, like yeah. three different uh, versions of it you could get that had a cover that you could lay all the comics together and see the full cover of it it was like such a huge deal I remember I had that comic when it came out this is back when there were like hologram things on your comic books and eight, eight different t- versions of the comic to, to purchase for collection and uh, it was such a huge deal when Magneto Nobody rips drew. Wolverine's adamantium out of which I believe was a joke that one of the passing like one of the editors made and it was passing. during one of the story meetings or like what's left to do. Yeah. I'm like get rid of it. Yeah. See how he does without it. <laughs> but that's also the, like the weird thing that got us to like bandana noseless beast Wolverine, which was like the dumbest, <laughs> like, Hey, you know, this character with like pathos and like uh, a history and like relationships. What if we just made him a dumb fucking wolf man? Mm-hmm, it's bad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, if you want the, the, probably the dopest, like Wolverine saber tooth, big brawl would probably be Wolverine volume two, number 10 by Claremont with artist John Buscema, where they're fighting each other in this giant epic battle. And there's like flashbacks and it goes back and forth. That's, I remember, I remember that's a big notable one that, uh, is this when they established that once a year, saber tooth comes on Wolverine's birthday just to try and murder someone he loves. <laughs> yeah. What a villain. <laughs> and I never understood, like, because, okay, like, Sabretooth's bigger than Wolverine, right? He's this, yeah. like, depending on who draws him, he's either, like, he's like an 11-foot-ball pile of muscle, right. or he's just, like, a slightly larger man. And it's always, like, I also can heal, and I have adamantium fingernails or whatever. But that's, like, the dude has, like, two-foot knives at the end of his fist. It's yeah. never going to be a fair fight. Right, right, right. Exactly. Exactly. And also, you have uh, Origin by Bill Jimmis, Joe Casada, and Paul Jenkins. Is this, the, another, is the, this the other big is one? Is this James Howlett? Yes. And let, oh us, my let God. us tell the tale I hated of this. Wolverine's I Origin. I hate this so much. Okay. As a child, James Howlett. Mm. Get it, Jake? Howlett. Because he howls. He was uh, sickly and in a broken home. And James's mother's lover, whose name is Logan, something Logan, uh, tries to take her away from their home, which ends in James's older brother getting shot. James raging out and having claws of bone erupt from his hands to take out Logan and James's mother blowing her fucking brains out in the wake of it all. Right? Just that that one shot that will live forever of baby Wolverine in his fucking nightgown, <laughs> a white nightgown with his itty bitty baby claws crying, being like, Nee-e-e-e-e. I'm just like, that's no, no. <laughs> He's always getting fucked over, dude. Oh, my. And fucked over, especially. Especially who who will always remember it? The lover's son named Dog. Who hint 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 saber No no no. They they establish that it's like not. It's saber-tooth. not saber tooth. Later writers constantly like it might be saber but they kind they, of allude that it might be saber right? They they. I know. I just remember reading it's fucking saber I remember reading Jason Aaron uh, when Wolverine becomes like the principal of the Wolverine of the uh, Jean Grey school. 
uh, that like dog shows up and it's like, well, that's not Sabretooth. Ah. Um, but they were always weird. Like they just made it so that Sa- because they kept so much shrouded in mystery, the fact that Sabretooth even remotely knew who Wolverine was made him like so full of fan theory fodder. Right. I remember, I think there was like even a trading card that said like, Sabretooth, blah, 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 Weapon X, doo, blah, doo. he might be Wolverine's dad. <laughs> we don't know. Uh, <laughs> we honestly don't know. <laughs> we haven't made that part up yet. The coolest thing I ever, I ever read was that like one writer was like, it's the reason why Wolverine keeps losing his memories is because it's the only way you can heal trauma is to forget. There you go. And he's got so many memories to forget that are traumatic because he just keeps loving them and letting them die and oh, seeing them die. Okay, hold on. Let's play. So so, so his lover, his lover in the beginning, by the way, Rose, right? She, he leaves with this Rose. And by the way, this is in the 18th century because he is kind of like a vampire. Like, he doesn't die. He slowly ages, like, very, lives a very, very long time. So um, he, he ends up accidentally killing the lover with the bone claws in an attempt to take out the the uh, dog who shows up to 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 you know for revenge for his father getting killed. Um, after that happens, he flips out. Um, and by the way, I think that's the first time canonically he goes into a berserker rage. Oh, we didn't even talk about berserker we rage. Talked about, we got tons of stuff to talk about, Jake. Berserker rage is such a fucking. If Do there you is, see my fuck berserker. <laughs> I forget the actual lines to the song. That's another place. thing that, like, the it's like the Wolverine, the animal, healing factor as a medical term, and Berserker as a state are uh-huh. all things that I just thought Wolverine did. Right, <laughs> like, right. They, I didn't realize they came from other things. There is no idea more, like, appealing to a young dude than the idea that's like, sometimes I get too kill horny and there's just no stopping me. <laughs> God. Fucking, how did this character not exist always? <laughs> so he runs off into the woods after that, and he takes on the name Logan, and he lives in the forest before being taken in by Dr. Cornelius, whose military program, Weapon X, was perfect for Logan because he had those great healing abilities. He is filled to the brim with adamantium. They plant it in his body. It's horribly painful. And at first, he's a weapon for the government, and they send him on one of those missions for the government after the Hulk, which brings us to our first appearance of Wolverine, and that is Wolverine's basic, way big overview of of his uh, origin story. I mean, there's, there's so also, many details that go into that because, like I said, his origin story has been iterated on so many times. That there's so many dead women involved in his origin story that he's just like, no, like just constantly, constantly. It's You cannot tell a Wolverine story without him on his knees, claws on his side, like hand, palms up, claws out going, no. And it's so much of the duality. Gene, why? It's the duality of Wolverine. Wolverine, right? It's like, you know, he has spikes that comes out of his hands and rip him to shreds, but he has these healing abilities, right? He goes into these berserker rages where he can't control himself, and yet he's the guy that wants to have that control, that that really just cannot stand that about himself. Or for a lot of people, he's their rock. He's the capable one who can, like, get through a tough situation. Yeah. He's the guy that, like, won't freak out when the odds are stacked But then he him. freaks out. But you know, it is what it is. But it, but that's kind we, of the did, interesting push. Did you and get pull. into Romulus? 
No. There's this fucking guy named Romulus who's like this Canadian wolf spirit immortal man who's like secretly behind everything that happened to Wolverine, even like the Japanese shit. It's dumb. It's (laughs) dumb. They keep fucking with him. Um, So what do we have with Wolverine? We've talked about his berserker rage. He's fluent in English, Japanese, Russian, Chinese, Cayenne. Uh, Spanish, Arabic, and Lakota, and has some knowledge of several other world languages. He's proficient in martial arts. Uh, you know, he's got that Batman background going on with the with the different fighting styles. Um, and that is a lot has to do with uh, the fact that he had to travel the world for the government. And in general, in the years between the 18th century and the time he started teaming up with X-Men, including fighting in the Vietnam War and being like a war every, vet with PTSD. Uh, every character from Captain America to Winter Soldier to Black Widow or just anyone that had anything to do with quote unquote wet works or whatever uh, has some like story where they team up with like Wolverine Weapon X style. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, hey, Logan, I don't, war doesn't make a lot of sense, but I know you're a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> he also has a wide knowledge of the body and pressure points. And one of the other things I, I forgot to mention before that made him so cool to a teen like like a young budding uh cigarette addict like me he was constantly drinking and smoking and i think that, that cigars, was cigars dumb cigars. Fat cigars and of course he had his healing abilities negate the long-term effects of these things so he just drinks and smokes all the time and that definitely made him a cool dude to me back when i was like should i try it should i try it I you just, know what I mean? They like the comics code like weaken just a little bit, yeah, so that you could have like a hero, quote unquote, like kill people yeah. and drink and smoke. And I feel like he was and like, this guy became Mister Kill Drink Smoke. And I feel like he was kind of like Punisher and some of those other bad boys that they they would have the um like symboled out curse words mm-hmm. where it'd be like pound at sign like ampersand like whatever, and that would be. That would be like sort of, but they would be, they would technically curse, but you wouldn't know what they were. You'd have to make it up in your head. And of course, all I was making up was probably butt. It's like, go butt yourself and suck my butt, you know, and stuff like that. A good Wolverine story for that people kind of point to. Sure. For like, uh, you know, like, oh, well, what can I, because, you know, he's embroiled in this, not just the X-Men soap opera, but the entire Marvel Universe soap opera. Uh, Enemy of the State, written by Mark, it's a part of. It's issues uh, 20 through yes. 25. Yes, yes. Uh, written by Mark Millar, who did uh, Wanted. I'm he glad did, you brought him yeah. up because he's. People get mad if we didn't uh, bring up his name synonymous to Wolverine. Jason Aaron did a lot of good stuff with Wolverine, but uh, Enemy of the State uh, from 2005 involves uh, Wolverine getting brainwashed by Hydra and basically turning him against the Marvel Universe and just having the entirety of like shield and the avengers and the fantastic four just like flip out because he is unstoppable (laughs) (laughs) um so do you have anything else you want to talk about the comic books before we get into the movies uh there was uh i remember ultimate wolverine versus hulk which was written Mm. by damon lindelof okay uh, at the height of his like lost buzz and uh he uh just kind of didn't write any more issues for three years. <laughs> and so for like a solid three year period, this was like probably the period of time where I was like the biggest into comics. Uh, Wolverine was literally ripped in two, uh, climbing up a mountain, trying to find the lower half of his own torso. 
<laughs> there was just three years where he just he was just stuck like that. Oh my god! He's a team player. There's a reason why he keeps getting thrown on all these books, and that's because he's a lancer. He can like go solo. He can butt heads with other characters. He is independent, but also reliant on like the team. It's just it's just such a gift to comic book writers, and people love him. So you put him on the cover, you know, before Venom, before Ghost Rider, you put him on the cover, and you sell more books. Mm-hmm. So, like, he's just this asset, this kind of just hyper macho, hyper tragic, basically the most adult child superhero you can make. Yeah. And uh, that's part of his, his lifetime appeal. I agree with all of that 100%. And uh, now we're going to move into something I was actually really looking for. He doesn't to have to hold into. knives. He doesn't have to hold knives. So his hands are free to hold other things. To hold other things. Because he's still got knives. And he ever um, jerks off with the claws out just for like the added just, just, edge? I mean, he'll heal. doesn't matter. That's true. I bet he's like into pain and stuff when it comes to sex stuff. Oh, uh, man, if I was Wolverine, I would just be, like, the tenderest lover. <laughs> just like, <laughs> d- don't hit me. <laughs> uh, so, you can't talk about the movies and uh, Wolverine in film without talking about the man Hugh Jackman. And I wanted to tell a little brief history about Hugh Jackman. I mean, this man brought so much to the character. I think that even more so than anybody, even more so than, like, Robert Downey Jr. or, like, some of the other actors that are synonymous to superheroes, like... Christopher Reeves. You're thinking of a Christopher, Christopher Reeves. Reeves but like, I'm thinking about how Hugh Jackman worked very closely with the directors and writers on this character. He wasn't just the guy that showed up the day he was called and performed it. He was a guy that was passionate about the way this character was being portrayed in cinema. And, and you know, they had their hits and they had their misses. And we're going to talk about all of them. It's very weird that, like, this pinnacle of, like, macho energy, this, like, yeah. roughneck uh, I, don't, I don't totem yeah. uh, could only be brought to the stage by like a Australian musical, musical theater, theater, theater guy. Like <laughs> because I he was the it. only one that could have to like honestly be like, what am I doing? Yeah, who, who is this? guy? And really finding the motivation, really finding the character in such a great way. So Hugh Jackman is born in Sydney, New South Wales, uh, to devout Christian parents who moved from England to Australia just a year before he was born. He loved the outdoors and all. Not the- just like devout Christian, like full Billy Graham. Yeah, they, he, they were converted by Billy Graham. Okay. Uh, he uh, loved the outdoors, and at the all-boys grammar school he attended, he starred in its production of My Fair Lady, and that was, I think, maybe his first musical he did. He got his B.A. in communications at the University of Technology in Sydney in 1991, but in his final year, just for the fuck of it, like, he had to fill a credit for school. He ends up taking a drama course, and they put on a production at the very end of it, and he says... In that week, I felt more at home with those people than I did in the entire three years at university. And it it really hits him. Maybe this acting thing isn't just a hobby. He said, it wasn't until I was 22 that I ever thought about my hobby being something I could make a living out of. As a boy, I'd always had an uh, interest in theater. But the idea at my school was the drama and music were to round out the man. It wasn't what one did for a living. I got over that. I found the courage to stand up and say, I want to do it. He then attended a lot of school after that. He he really did the whole acting training thing. He goes to Western Australia Academy of Performing Arts, graduates in 1994. Um, of this, he said, he always loved 
acting, but when I started at drama school, I was like the dunce of the class. It just wasn't coming right to me. Everyone was cooler. Everyone seemed more likely to succeed. Everyone seemed more natural at it, and in retrospect, I think that is good. I think it is good to come from behind as an actor. I think it is good to go into an audition thinking, man, I've got to be at my best to get this gig. I'm going to agree with him. I think I've talked about acting school before, and now I fucking hated it, and I felt exactly (laughs) how Hugh Jackman feels in this uh, description. And I'm going to say that um, I'd say at least in entertainment, maybe not specifically in acting, but I mean, I'm doing what I love for a living. And I think that uh, the reason why was because I had to fight so hard starting then to do what I love. And it wasn't just handed to me. And there are a lot of other actors that were in in that program in which they were just handed every role and they just kind of showed up and just charmed the teachers and they didn't have to put up with the bullshit. And they're doing whatever now. You know what I mean? And so I, I definitely do think it's important as much as it sucks to face some heavy adversity when you're trying to do what you love for a living, when you're trying to be an actor, be this thing. And people say, no, no, no. I got kicked out of the acting program and I, I, you know, it just made me work harder. And as much as it sucks, um, failure is so necessary when it comes to really excelling in life. He did a lot of live theater in Australia, particularly in Melbourne. Then he broke out in 1998, playing the leading role in Oklahoma in London's West End. London's West End is like the Broadway of London, of, of England. It's a big, big deal. It's probably like the only thing it's maybe not as big as technically is Broadway. But besides that, that is like a huge, huge deal. He like won awards. He really broke out into the live theater scene. But that's nothing compared to in 2000 when he lands the role of Wolverine in Brian Singer's X-Men film. We talked extensively about um, extensively about Brian Singer's film in the X-Men episode, but I will talk about uh, Hugh Jackman's side of it. His wife, first of all, advised him to not take the role and called it ridiculous. <laughs> he he felt it was a challenge as he had very few lines but a lot of emotion to convey. I also love that he uh, studied wolves to develop the character early on. He 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 thought it was a, a he didn't realize that like a wolverine was like a different animal completely. Uh, this is a quote from an article which uh, uh, describes this was actually a common misconception because Brian Singer had sought out Russell Crowe to play the ah. role of Wolverine. And Russell Crowe turned it down because he thought that uh, because he had recently played uh, the character Maximus, who also had an emblem of a wolf, Ah. that he would be typecast as the wolf guy, (laughs) not realizing that Wolverine isn't a wolf. Then another (laughs) anecdote on set involves uh, Hugh Jackman saying, uh, Brian Singer said to me, are you sort of walking funny? What's going on? And I said, I've been doing this thing where I'm trying to like uh, kind of summon like a wolf's movements. And Brian Singer says... You know you're not a wolf, right? Uh, so he also studied other things um, when I was talking about how he was a very silent character, at least in that first film. That made him study very quiet, intense characters like Clint Eastwood in Dirty Harry or Mel Gibson in Mad Max 2. And He's, in a way, aren't those characters what influenced the writers of Wolverine? Exactly, right? He said, here were guys who had relatively little dialogue the, like Wolverine the had. Like, not like, so Wolverine isn't John Wayne. Right. He's the man with no name. Exactly. But you knew, um, like, Wolverine. Literally no name. It's just Logan. That's Howlett, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But you knew and felt everything. I'm not normally one to copy, but I wanted to see how these guys achieved it. He also did the cool dude thing of his own stunts. 
Um, he said, we worked a lot on the movement style of Wolverine, and I studied some martial arts. I watched, I love this, I watched a lot of Mike Tyson fights, especially his early fights, that like animalistic, you know? Infighting. There's something, Claws, short range. Right? Short, there, even though he's tall. But there, there's something fuck about Fuck anybody it. who's like, mm, he's too tall to play Wolverine. <laughs> he did this job. Well, we'll talk about that too, how they had to pull that off. He said, there's something about his style, referring to Mike Tyson, the animal rage that seemed right for Wolverine. I kept saying to the writers, don't give me long choreographed fights for the sake of it. Don't make the fights pretty um and he would even wear the claws while like lounging around his house just to get used to having them on his person yeah and he would like accidentally cut himself and stuff all the time or fucking bruise himself now of course uh let me let me just throw in there just in case this uh just in case various revelations make the these topics uh uh, uh, noteworthy. Uh, uh, yeah, Hugh Jackman was just this like young Australian uh, musical theater actor who hung out with Brian Singer a lot at parties, and they got along great. And I'm sure that was fine, and nothing weird happened. Okay, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> um, as you mentioned, Hugh Jackman, six three. Wolverine literally 5'3", a full foot taller than the actual character. They had to shoot him at weird angles or only waist up. Also, co-stars had to wear platform shoes, and they really made it a big point to make sure he was that shortened character uh, with all of the little movie tricks they could get. And, of course, Jackman goes on to perform his role as Wolverine in X2, the big, huge hit, and then X-Men The Last Stand. Before moving on to... God, The Last Stand. Yeah. Do you remember that scene? Uh Stop me if I've gone on this rant on this exact show before, but the final scene where he has to like kill. I have not seen Last Stand, by the way. So I the have wh- just I heard too many terrible things. So the whole plot revolves around that they found this mutant cure that they can extract from this one kid whose mutant power is he cancels out other people's mutant powers. Then on top of that, they throw in the Dark Phoenix thing on top of it, and it's like very crowded, very busy. The whole thing just doesn't flow right. And it culminates in this overwrought sequence where Jean Grey goes nuts, is going full Dark Phoenix, things are getting destroyed, and Wolverine is, like, standing up to her, and, like, his flesh is getting, like, ripped off, and he's, like, still walking towards her because he knows there's only one way to stop this. And he's just like, I gotta kill the woman I love, it's awful. And everyone's like, no, Wolverine, don't. And the whole time I'm in the theater, I'm just, like, biting my fucking cheeks till blood comes out because I'm trying not to scream. There's a kid who cancels mutant powers in the room. In this, he's here. He's just throw the kid at him. He's this whole point. You're, this entire story is taking place because there's a kid who violently takes away mutant powers. What the fuck is happening? What is happening? <laughs> Fucking bullshit. Yeah, Last Stand was a dumb bullshit movie. And speaking of dumb bullshit movies, uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine. Let's talk We've about it. We covered this in the Deadpool episode. Did we, we cover the Deadpool? The- Directed by Gavin Hood. Uh, Did we do a Deadpool episode? We had to have. <laughs> I don't know. No, we've definitely no, talked we about have. how Ryan Reynolds fought tooth and nail for Deadpool. Yes, yes. So, so, anyways, um, uh, yeah. By the way, listeners, we're getting to that point where we can't remember our own <laughs> shit. Uh, uh, Gavin Hood directs. His big break happened with his film Satsi, for which he won the Academy Award for Best Foreign Film. It was written by David Benoit, who's actually the Game of Thrones TV show co-creator and showrunner, and Skip Woods, whose maybe best known work besides this is Swordfish. 
So there you go. Weird. Yeah, I know. Also right? Hugh Jackman, though, right? Also Hugh Jackman. Weird. What ben, a world. I know, right? Benoit based the script off the Weapon X arc and Claremont Miller's 1982 limited series and the origin arc. And now Jackman, this is when Jackman is collaborating now with the people on the script, and it's written as a dark, brutal, R-rated movie. They start filming. Uh, they're, they're, several things are fucked up. Fucked about this production the screenplay is incomplete when they go into filming always not a good sign they're getting new pages from LA showing up to Australia overnight uh, that's where they filmed the majority of it Gavin Hood also has an awful time with the execs on this movie the execs did not like things that like Wolverine was an army veteran with PTSD heavy themes like that things that eventually would make Wolverine such a big hit the execs of course cannot see how that could be successful and in March of 2009 to really hit home that this thing is just not going to be a success. A full-length DVD-quality work print leaked of the film with unfinished effect shots, different typefaces for titles, and alt sound effects, which was downloaded an estimated 4.5 million times. I remember when I used to go to the weird guy with, that had the weird jerk-off booths in the back of the store, and that place smelled really gross, and I would get the bootleg DVDs from him. I definitely acquired this DVD cut, and um, it really made the movie look bad the unfinished special effects really were terrible that was their lie yeah that was that was okay it was bad i Um, remember watching it and being like this is straight bad i can't i for the life of me i can't remember the guy's name we covered the deadpool episode my brain is broken but literally the head executive of 20th century fox who hated the x-men franchise he bet against it he was the guy that like got Titanic and Avatar made, so like his word was law. And despite the fact that he fucking hated the X Men movies, they were a huge hit. And he always tried to meddle with them, even with Brian Singer. People say that's why Singer like jumped ship to do the Superman movie instead mm. of finishing the trilogy. Literally, the director had like a family tragedy and had to leave the set. And Hartman, I want to say, is like. Tom Harmon. He was also the same guy that like kept giving Ryan Reynolds the runaround on right, Deadpool and right. fucked with him every step he of the way. He was just a fucker. Uh, he was a huge fucker. Literally went in and like changed sets and changed like scenes while the director was away having to deal with a personal crisis. Uh, that thing leaked and the special effects were like, oh, no, don't worry. They're unfinished. Those were the effects. The effects are so bad. There yeah, is a yeah. scene. Um, this is a legendary from Wolverine Origins. Uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine, where it's like Wolverine discovering his metal claws while like in a farmer couple's bathroom and they can't animate like the the amount of like the they, the whatever crew they got just were physically unable to like convincingly animate the claws coming out of the hands. Mm. So they like crop in real close and it's just Hugh Jackman going like, whoa, well, like these fucking fake like Beast Wars Transformers quality yeah, yeah. CGI claws are just kind of waving super in bad. front of them. Yeah, it's super bad. They fight on the end of like the big fight with shitty closed mouth Deadpool at the end on a fucking uh, cooling tower. Looks like a bad. It looks like something out of. Like, an early episode of Arrow. Everything Uh fucking sucks. And, like, none of the major revelations happen. Like, I think they make a big deal out of the fact that, like, hey, guys, have you ever wondered where Wolverine's jacket comes from? (laughs) Turns out this farmer gave him his 
famous jacket. <laughs> it's real, real bad. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that he continued to get titles after this, really. Um, that he continued to get like solo Wolverine movies. But they did. After the failure that was X-Men Origins Wolverine, you have The Wolverine, directed by James Mangold. We mentioned this movie earlier. James Mangold also directed Copland, Walk the Line, 310 to Yuma. I mean, this is like a good, direct, strong director. Mm-hmm. It is written by Mark Bomback, who did, uh, who wrote Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, the Total Recall remake, and Scott Frank, who wrote Minority Report and Marley and Me. Um, this a lot is, of cool scenes where Wolverine fights a bunch of Yakuza. Because and this is based on the Claremont Miller run, you know, the Super Samurai Dark Wolverine run. Uh, that's Hugh Jackman's favorite run of Wolverine comics. He travels to Japan to battle deadly samurai while struggling with the death of Jean Grey. So this is taking off after the last X Men movie. He reconnects well. with his lost love, Mariko. Um, this was also the one that Darren Aronofsky was almost the director of, but the end ended up leaving the project, namely just because they were supposed to extensively shoot in Japan, and Aronofsky was not willing to leave his family for that long of a period of time. That's actually what he said is why he didn't do it. Jackman said, there's so many areas of that Japanese story. I love the idea of this kind of anarchic character, the outsider, being in this world. I can see it aesthetically, too, full of honor and tradition and customs and someone who's really anti all of that and trying to negotiate his way the idea of the samurai too and the tradition there it's really great it's the comic book he gets in the comic book he gets his ass kicked by a couple of samurai not even mutants he's shocked by that at first which i think is a cool thing that is a great scene in the original uh claremont frank miller run where just Mm. this old ass dude with a wooden sword just like is so good at sword fighting that he's just kicking the shit out of wolverine hitting like the pressure points and nerve clusters to fuck with him and he does it specifically to piss off Wolverine so much that he pops the claws and, like, tries to attack him, thus making him dishonorable. And, like, that loss of pride is what hurts him the most. The movie ends with the dumbest fucking yeah, CG I was about to silver say. samurai shit. So, so I was They gonna... cut off his fucking claws. They give him the fucking bone claws, <laughs> uh-huh. which was, like, every comic <laughs> fan fucking hated. I don't know why they were like, don't worry, kids. We brought back bone claws. <laughs> the first thing they do in the new movie is fucking make sure they explain. No, no, don't worry. He doesn't have bone claws anymore. <laughs> it's fucking cr- it's And it's bad CGI again, mm-hmm. where this movie was supposed to be, like, grounded and aesthetic and, like, all this it was supposed to be like don't worry guys we learned the lessons from origins we're gonna make a good wolverine movie and it ends on fucking a wet shirt of bullshit but did you like the movie up until then it was okay up until it was then. okay i i the pg-13ness of one. it there, it was pg-13 and like right. that kind of because that's uh, the thing deflated a bunch of we're like, about to get into it with logan man mm-hmm. so so hugh jackson's wolverine cameos in x-men first class stars in x-men days of future past and x-men apocalypse you can look at um you can listen to our x-men episode to get more details about those movies but i want to hear i want to end up end this episode talking about one of my favorite superhero films of all time logan again directed by james mangold with scott frank and mangold co-writing it with michael green michael green he wrote alien covenant blade runner 2049 um and i think it it goes to say like it goes to show like with the wolverine they it's it's hugh jackman working very closely with james mangold uh and and i think just 
getting the, you know, learning the ropes together about working on a film together. Now they're ready to go. Now they're in their groove. And that's when Logan happens. And Logan is fucking rad. It is set in a dystopia in the year 2029. I was blindsided by this movie. No mutants have been born in 25 years. Logan's healing ability is weakened and he is growing old as he cares for a 90 year old Charles Xavier who has dementia causing seizures that when uncontrolled are hyper deadly. I'm about to talk spoilers. If you have any interest in this movie and you want this movie to be a surprise you got to skip this part just jump past this part i'm going to talk about him right now everybody dies <laughs> dude and you're like what and i guess i didn't realize it was like the final movie or i would have expected it i mean but i was like hugh jackman is 50 shit. years old he's 50 fucking years old it is fucking crazy though like the way and everyone dies like it's brutal it is such a good fucked sad just like it's 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 logan escorting um laura a government uh x23 yeah a a, a government experiment mutant that's essentially another wolverine prototype in the comics they've since revealed that it she was not a clone all along but in fact his actual daughter and uh weirdly enough x23 who I'm sure most like I really only know her as like a Marvel versus Capcom fighter. Yeah. Um. She got her start in that fucking X Men Evolution cartoon. Oh. That's where weird. she originally came from, and she it was like they Harley Quinned her. She was Bizarre. so popular on the cartoon. They brought I I never even realized that. That's interesting. Mangold says of his work that he did with Jackman. He said we referring to him and Jackman had to free ourselves from some assumptions that had existed in the past and be able to change the tone a bit. Not merely to change for change's sake, but also to make something that's speaking to the culture now that's not just the same style how many times can they save the world in one way or another how can we construct a story that's built more on character and character issues in a way as if it almost wasn't a superhero movie yet it features their powers and struggles and themes jackman brings it to this fucking thing he he's get you know he brought in ideas he he wanted to make the 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 wrestler for you know Wolverine which is such a fucking cool idea he wanted to you know they, they looked at old westerns they looked at noir they wanted to make something different man and it fe- it's so different from every other superhero movie it feels amazing I mean they and borrowed, he, it is like an a- Oscar worthy performance it is unreal good they borrowed a couple of like thematic elements from uh the old man Logan storyline by Mark Millar which was its own like kind of alternate future yes. history but that one was like it's full of fucking Millar, like, yeah, extremisms. Yeah, nuts. Yeah, it's more, like, Logan is way more understated. Logan's super grounded and quiet in the, the film. Yeah. Uh, it is, it is just, it feels so raw and brutal and real and just takes all of the, like, it is the opposite of what, like, the Avengers is doing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or, or especially, like, Guardians of the Galaxy is doing. It is, like, gritty, serious as shit, like really brutal, really pulls no punches, rated R, very violent, and it just ends incredibly. It is like a devastating movie. I mean, you walk out and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe this. Like I was, you know, I felt like I just watched a fucking, you know, like an Oscar movie, you know, like where it's all bum, you know, it's like a big bummer, but it's like an amazing bummer, an amazingly filmed, amazingly performed bummer and on july of 2015 hugh jackman puts out an image of logan giving the middle finger with his uh one claw with the hashtag one last time out on his twitter feed and that was his announcement that this would be his final performance as the character after 17 years and apparently the person who convinced him to stop being wolverine jerry seinfeld 
great. He was at a dinner party with Jerry Seinfeld. And um, uh, Hugh Jackman has this to say. He said to me, when you're creating something, it's very important not to run yourself dry. It's not about finishing on top necessarily, but making sure you're creatively, you've creatively still got something left, which propels you into whatever's next. He knew it was I, his time. He should have had that conversation before he did that dumbass cameo in X-Men Apocalypse. <laughs> Fuck that movie, man. <laughs> Fuck. God, I swear to fucking God. All right. I don't know what Brian Singer was on or what like weird underage boy was secretly directing his movies. <laughs> but like the fucking new X-Men movies are so bad. They, they were thinking of not releasing Dark Phoenix. Yeah. Because like it's apparently dog shit. Ugh. Well, either way, that is, is besides the point. Also, Wolverine has been dead in the comics for like the past two years. Yeah. <laughs> He's coming back this year, though. So, uh, yeah, I guess we'll see what happens with the future of Wolverine. But right now, he's sort of dead. And uh, well, that's he was where like, we have to leave it. They, he like got coated in adamantium and suffocated. Right. And they kept his weird metal body in Canada. But he's back. And also uh, X-23 was the new Wolverine. And there's some really good stories with her. I think, you know what they should do? They should have uh, four return. Uh, uh, Lady Wolverine, a cyborg Wolverine, a black Wolverine, and a boy Wolverine. And then they'll all like duke it out to figure out. And it'll be a bunch of different. It'll be great. I have a whole bunch of ideas for it. But until then. That fin- that completes our coverage on Wolverine. We hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much, everybody. Snicked. We didn't say snicked. We didn't say snicked. We didn't say bub. We didn't say a lot. We did say bub. But listen, I'm, everybody. I'm the best there is at what I do. <laughs> and what I do isn't very nice. If you'd like to support us further, check us out on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. $5 a month. You get a bonus episode every single week. Or, hey, just write and review us on iTunes. If you want to uh, check me out and my other doings, go to twitch.tv forward slash holdnatorsho. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Young. Go to dropout.tv. Maybe get a free trial. And uh, check out all the fun comics and shows and good stuff that Uh, Maybe the company I work for is betting their future on. (laughs) Uh, Awesome, everybody. Always remember, never stop bruising. And keep on whizzing. We did it wrong. Keep on whizzing, bruising. I like to switch it up. You know me. Change is weird. Bye. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support so you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.